Hey everybody, welcome to another spoiler edition of the Game of Thrones podcast on ballboot.com. I'm your host, Aaron. I'm Jim. And uh, we're talking about episode 506. Blood. Nope. What? 606. <laughs> blood of my blood. Did I get yeah. that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so right away I wanted to start, I wanted to get something out of the way, which is a bet I made with the listeners on the spoiler edition last year. And it turns out, uh, special thanks to Olivia D, who... Went through the archives and found the quote at the 47-minute mark of the 507 spoiler edition. Well, let's just play the clip. I will say this. If Ben Jin Stark shows up in episode 10, I will take red lipstick and I will write the word dick on my forehead for the live video version of our main podcast. That's how confident I am that he is not going to show up. So... There's an ar- there, there's an argument to be had here that I my the initial claim was if Benjin shows up before the last episode of season five mm-hmm. I would indeed write the word dick in red lipstick on my forehead <laughs> for the live recording of the next following episode. However, that came and passed. Like mm-hmm. I was really shitting bullets when they had Benjin Stark in the previously ons, but it turns out that was just uh, to sell. Uh, the lie that they told John about Benjen riding up to the gates to get him out of his quarters so they could stab him. Hmm. On the other hand, another argument could be made that the spirit of the bet was that I was so confident that this Benjen equals cold hands business was nonsense that I probably should wear the red dick lipstick anyway. Hmm. What do I get? Do I settle this with a trial by combat? Who do I fight? Uh, who's my champion? Uh, can I be like like how, how do I resolve this? Because honestly, I was initially worried that I'd said something like Sharpie, and I really didn't want permanent marker dick on my forehead for three or four days until it wore off. Yeah, but lipstick, like uh, you know what? I don't just like... wash that off. So here's the thing: I don't have the proper context for this. If you were all like Benjen Cold Hand Stark is not a thing. Uh, he's never coming back ever, ever, ever. And then you happen to slip up and say this season during the the proclamation of the bet. Yeah. Uh, then I would probably say, yeah, you need to do it. If if that's not the case, then no. I mean, the letter of the bet was before the end of the season, as I heard it. Oh, I'm curious to see what I guess what the listeners. But think, yeah, cause because they probably have a better better perspective on the context. On, on the here. other hand, they're probably right cunts, and they're going to want yeah. me to yeah. put the. You know, they just want from a pure. Schadenfreude kind of way. They want to see me with uh, the word sure. "dick" on my forehead. So I think maybe you just have to put a capital D. Capital just, D. Yeah, just put the D. <laughs> just the D. Put the D on my head. Uh-huh. What if you just like draw a, a, a cock and balls? Right. Yeah. The outline of it. Mm-hmm. Um. So I like I said, I'm, I'm open to it, but I think I left myself enough wiggle room because here's the thing, like. I can't stress how much that this has been, while a popular theory, also kind of a laughingstock theory. And, like, Mm -hmm. you know, the Bingen is X, and Dario equals X, and Euron equals X become, like, a way to... When someone puts a crazy piece of unsupported tinfoil, that's, like, one of the top comments. Like, oh, and Bingen is going to be Euron, or whatever. Bet they're eating their fucking words now. This, going frantically deleting comments. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I don't even know that Benjin will be Cold Hands in the book because we've met Cold Cold oh, Hands. Okay. Yeah. Who? So it seems like Benjin is a white. Um, I looked in the second. It doesn't seem like his hands are kind of blackened the way it's described, and he certainly looks pale, and he's got fucking scars on his face. And mm-hmm. I'm going. To, I think that he's going to be revealed as undead. Yeah. 
Uh, and cold hands is certainly. I, mean, I, thought, I thought they essentially revealed. I think so that. too. Like if you've got a shard of obsidian in your heart, yeah. What are we talking about here? <laughs> right. Uh, you're not fully human. Of course, you could make the the argument, the same argument about John. But in the books, we have Summer's point of view, the dog, and he describes them as smelling like decayed, rotting meat. But uh, I always thought it was weird that, you know, again, I get he's got a cloak and he's kind of wreathed in darkness and whatnot. But I always thought it weird that Bran didn't know that that was his uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how fucked up you could make one of my uncles to where I wouldn't recognize them by sound or by sight. And also he, uh, in the books, Cold Hands describes himself as being dead long ago. So that doesn't, like, you know, Bingen disappears at the start of Game of Thrones. That doesn't really track. Like, if he's talking about, oh, yeah, long ago, last year. Uh, yes, Bingen, so Bingen this, started out in the Night's Watch, yeah? Yes, uh, in the he books. was the, the first ranger. Okay. Are we, has Bran even met him? Do we know that? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, because he, yeah? he, came, he came to the Winterfell when King Robert was there in the first season. And in the first books, as part of that festivities, he got okay. leave from the Night's gotcha. Watch to go down there and visit with his family. Yeah, I don't remember any of that. So yeah, he's he's definitely. Uh, I would think Bran would recognize him. Yeah, um, but no, I, and that's the thing. Like this could be a Martin's Razor situation where uh, in the books, uh, Cold Hands might be you know chilling his heels as, as cold as they are outside the cave, waiting for Bran to come forth, and he protects them and then furthers his education. And he might not be Bingen at all, but Martin's Razor says, well, if we're going to introduce an undead white, we've got Bingen that's already up here. It's a recognizable yeah. character. So I, I'm of multiple minds about this whole thing. Okay. Um, but, like, I really, you know, like I said, I, <laughs> I would have fought harder had I stuck with the Scorpion thing because there's and, – <laughs> and, 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 and the Scorpion's gone now, so there's no way I could hold that bet anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's stay on the Bingen topic for a bit, uh, since we're already there. Kat D said, I want to email on the wider implications of the show's Bingen reveal. If Bingen was cured from turning into a white by having Dragonglass plunged into his heart, couldn't this drastically change the context of any future Nisa Nisa style sacrifices? Azor Ahai had to temper his sword by plunging it into water, then a lion's heart, and then his wife's heart, as we've discussed many, many times before. Mm-hmm. But on the show, Valerian Steel and Dragonglass seem to have the same magical properties. In this context of the White Walker invasion, is it possible that Zora High would be saving his wife by plunging his sword into her heart? I think Cat mm. is suggesting here that maybe Nisa Nisa was turned into a White Walker and this thing wasn't so much as a sacrifice, but as a, yeah. a, a saving event. Uh, I suppose that's possible. Now, the one wrinkle I would say is we don't know if like obsidian is the thing that actually does it or if it's some power that the children of the forest have uh that could also be the case well the only thing i'd say about that is unless the children of the forest are going around and blessing like all the obsidian in the land although i guess they found the cash which could have been those those things as far as we know could have been hand shipped by the children of the forest and blessed with their holy water or whatever they do right, to make I'm, it magic. I'm not talking about like being able to kill a white walker with it. I'm talking about like oh. specifically being able to stop yes. someone from turning into a white or bring them back or whatever. And we're certainly That might not, be just the ritual that does that. And, and we're certainly not sure that Valerian Steel could do the same thing because that's not a technology created by the children of the forest. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it is it is an interesting idea. Yeah. I, I do kind of like that maybe you could look at th- that statement in a different light. 
Like there's this transitive property that might, you could say, well, since Uh this does this, then in this occasion, then it might also do just as well. But yeah, I think you do have to say it might or maybe or something like that. Yes. But that's what's cool about this season is it's kind of blowing the lid off of and uh, strengthening other theories. Like, you know, none of this was talked about at all before this Mm -hmm. this season. So uh, we're going to talk about more about the... Possible Lightbringer, Azora High, uh, Nisa Nisa stuff later. But I wanted to get into corrections because I forgot to do corrections last week. It was hmm. a casualty of cutting and pasting. I didn't intentionally mean to just ignore it. Um, Bruden Person comes up first with the correction. Not all Targaryens had the silver hair. And I did do research, and there's about a dozen canonical tar- Targaryens that had uh, black hair and black eyes or brown hair and black eyes. and uh, So it's, it's not a okay. 100% sure thing that they all have silver hair and purple eyes. Hmm. Um, the um, the reason, he also illuminates the reason in the books that Euron, I don't think this is a correction so much as an illumination, the reason in the books that Euron has been gone uh, was because he fucked Victarion's wife and was banished for it. In hmm. the show, they literally made it out like he's just been off fucking around on a ship gallivanting. I don't know that's an important distinction to make. It would be in the books because it explains one of the reasons the Victarion turns against his brother. Like, not only yeah. does he think he's a shit because he just doesn't follow the laws of his people, and but also he he raped his wife. And then that you know, the interesting thing is Victarion then kills his wife as, like, an honor killing. So, there's that. Um, okay. But that that's the reason, uh, and Balon kind of to make peace and keep his house from being torn apart and banished Euron for, for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Murder Bear on the forum said, uh, Ashara Dane is the sister of Arthur Dane and not his wife, which that's, I totally fucked that up. That's on me. You know, easily confused in this world. Sure. <laughs> um, I thought, cause like, I, I'm pretty sure that she also threw herself off of the castle walls after he died, which that's, I think why I thought that she was his wife, because that's an ex- pretty extreme reaction for a sister. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'm not atta- that attached to my sister. I wouldn't throw myself off the roof of the apartment if she died. I'd be sad. Right. I'd be sad, sure, but I wouldn't be inconsolable. Um, Jukebox Hero uh, wanted to clean up some of the Summer Hall and kidnapping of Eris stuff. Because I completely conflated, like, three different events as one. And I knew I would do that when I was just kind of going off the cuff. But here's mm-hmm. the actual uh, timeline of events for those that are that, that, that are curious the tragedy of Summerhall happened about 40 years before the current events of the book or show. It was a gathering to celebrate the birth of Rhaegar Targaryen, uh, the, br- the brother of Danny, who was born on the same day. A massive fire burned down the castle and essentially killed everyone except Rhaella, which is Aerys's wife, and Rhaegar's mother, and the baby Rhaegar. It's not exactly known what's caused the fire, but there's speculation that dragon eggs and the trying to hatch same, which is what I was referring mm-hmm. to, played a role. Then, 50 years after that, or about 25 years before the proper start of the series, Eris was held hostage by House Darklin of Duskendale. Uh, and when Tywin marched his army down to resolve the situation, Lord Dennis threatened to kill Eris the moment Tywin or his men made any attempt to breach the city, which made Tywin kind of back off and try to the, the wait out the, him by, by sieging the city. Uh, and Barristan Selmy went on a covert mission to rescue King Eris. Once he was freed, uh, the entire house of Darkland uh, was executed with the exception of the young child, Dantas Hollard, 
uh, that Barristan insisted to be spared because he was just a kid. Uh, Ariston became paranoid and became sure that Tywin and Rhaegar planned to lay siege to Duskendale in order to provoke them into killing him so that Rhaegar could become king and no one would lay blame at their feet. And he didn't leave the Red Keep after that out of uh, paranoid fear. So he essentially misjudged Tywin, who was a loyal hand of the king and his son, um, and kind of became paranoid. Now, a lot of people said that... um, you know, Eris had kind of gone, started to go crazy long before that because he was the product of almost 300 years of inbreeding and incest at that point. And he had uh, a lot of his children were sickly and died either in birth or very young. And just the, the tragedy of all that kind of driven him mad. But um, also Dantas Hollard, the one, the boy that was um, uh, spared. I did not remember this, but he was the fool that Joffrey kind of humiliated Okay. Important. They tried to pour wine down his throat, uh, and he's the one that helped Sansa uh, poison Joffrey and helped her flee King's Landing before Littlefinger murdered him. Mm-hmm. So now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> I think that's an accurate summation of of those two events. Now, uh, and it had nothing to do with the previous thing that happened with Duncan Egg and the the you know destruction of a lot of Targaryens there, which was about a hundred years in the past. Hmm. Okay, Michael S. Uh, asserts that in the World of Ice and Fire, which is the compendium that George Martin released last year that kind of has like the, the whole history of Westeros, uh, according to this book, the maesters do not believe the world is flat. They believe it is round, and they actually call the known world Earth and not Planetos, yep. and even refer to the planet revolving around the sun. So that kind of okay. um, puts a kibosh on the whole Danny selling, set, you know, sailing the opposite around, went way to the globe to get to the opposite side of Westeros. Right. He also said that according to So Spake Martin Archive, uh, Martin said we will never see a shy in the books, which is the final kibosh in hmm. her sailing yeah. east to go west. Right. Um, and also a little kibosh on the stuff we talked about with Jorah maybe going there. And yeah. Like just- a lot of a lot of stuff we talked about. The only thing I would say to that is that there's already so many differences between the books and the show that if the yeah. Double D's decided they wanted to go that way instead of involving a tri- three-part plan with dragon horns and all this other stuff, that maybe they do that just to simplify things. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Uh, it, that's impossible. I mean, that's there's no way to know. They they call this planet Earth. That's that's canon. I didn't look this up to verify it because that book, I don't know if you've seen it, it's like a fucking telephone book. I'm sure, yeah. Uh, and it does have an index and whatnot, but I, I'm just taking Michael at his word here. I'm hoping he's I, not I'm picturing somewhat of like a TNG technical manual or something. Well, and that's the other thing when you talk about works of fantasy. Like, they're speaking the common tongue, not English. So is this a rough translation? Like, Earth is um, not... Is, is is Earth originally referred to the ground you stand on? It later became right. our planet. So what does that even mean? Sure, but if he's saying they actually refer to the planet as Earth, yeah, uh, I don't know how that tracks. I I have no fucking clue how that would be the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of like you know, there's a lot of ways you could make this literally be our Earth. Number one, you got magic, so you got magic seasons, and number two, this is mm-hmm. way, way, way in the future. I don't think it could possibly be in the past. Absolutely not. But it could be way, 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 way into the future. Yeah, like 
hundreds of millions of years such that the continents have drifted right. to where they're in the configuration they are in Westeros. I suppose so. But I would so. just, I honestly would just rather go with the fact that this is just a translation. Okay. You know, like they call their moon the moon too, and they call their sun the sun. Mm-hmm. That's a further. I mean, does that mean they're literally in our solar system with the moon, or or is that just no, what? I, I mean, I think it, the sun's not the proper name of of that ball of fire. It's solar, yeah. right? So, well, like, Earth isn't the proper name for like isn't scientifically a, it's Terra. Mm, I'm not sure about that. Like the moon <laughs> is actually Luna. Isn't like the moon is a generic right. like you capitalize it and you know it's our moon, but our moon is actually Luna. Yes. There so, are many moons. And the sun is actually solar called Sol, the solar system. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, this is all... Like, right, it's, like, who cares, if, ultimately? If the plot <laughs> of A Song of Ice and Fire resolves, revolves around our yeah. understanding of astronomical terms, then it's a completely different story than the one I think he's telling. <laughs> uh, but I did want to issue those corrections. Francesca said, I have to ask, since we're around the same period of time as some parts of dance, what do you think happened to us with the Sir John Connington and Young Griff storyline? Do we assume as book readers that this is a total red herring, herring from Germ to thicken the plot and make it harder for Danny to cross the narrow sea? Or is it just further proof that the book and the TV series are two different stories, especially since Jorah is the one who gets grayscale in the show as opposed to the banished John Connington? I was really intrigued by this plot in the books and I'm sad along with the apparent lack of Lady Stoneheart that it seems like it won't be appear uh, in the TV series. I've talked about this in, I think, the very first podcast this season, but... My theory is all of this stuff was spawned when George wrote the big prophecies that happened in A Storm of Swords, or is it Clash of Kings? Whichever the second book is. And he got to the Danny and he started just, you know, all these ideas started spinning forth. And he has all this, like, multiple three-part prophecies that ba- Danny's hit with in the house doing dying. As, like, you know, all the clues of what she's going to face. All the pretenders and all the supplicants and all the true allies and all the false friends that she's going to go ha- have to go through as clues to kind of help her navigate this. And then he got to write the story and he's like, oh, shit. And he has to actually have all this stuff pay off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think John Connington is literally just to fulfill like the mummer's dragon part of the, you know, I think the mother of lies part of the prophecy, which we're going to talk about a bit here in the uh, podcast as well. So I think that the fact that Jorah took the grayscale plot or somehow implies that that grayscale is going to be significant. But the fact that they Martins razor him, and if you're not familiar with that term, that's something I coined a couple seasons back to describe what the Double Ds like to do, which is to take two or three plots or characters from the books and consolidate them into one character that does kind of all the things that the other characters were, you know, to do to simplify the the story. Mm -hmm. Because this show's already got 75 arguably main characters. Right. Um, I think the fact that they've Martin Razor John Connington into Jorah implies that we're not going to get that. And I do believe that ultimately in the books that's going to be a minor footnote in the, you know, war of Westeros. What are you going to write on your head if John Connington shows up? I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> that's the thing, I'm, I'm not, I'm not certain. But the fact that, you know, right. as, as we go deeper in its stream of time and now we have what uh 13 plus four, we have 17 episodes left you know i was pretty confident that the Greyjoys were to come back they did introduce those and it took an episode or two to do it how many more episodes do we have to establish something like you know 
the John Connington Griff stuff. Sure. And that was all tied into Tyrion's plot. I mean, that 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 stuff seems like it was pretty irrevocable, but mm-hmm. I've been wrong before, and I'm not one of, I'm not <laughs> issuing any more bets. Uh, let's talk about general Lightbringer theories. I want to talk about Valerian swords in general because I got several, I feel like, emails identifying every single Valerian sword we know in existence and arguments for why it might play a part in the wars to come. Well, I know about Heartsbane now. Well, that's the thing, like... If there's a Valerian sword, it wouldn't surprise me if it doesn't get used against the White Walkers in the future. Yeah, calling but, on swords sort of thing. But that's such, like, I'm completely uninterested in saying what I think is an obvious fact. And some of them might be lost, and some of them might be found, and, you know, I, I'm looking for things that are actually significant. Having said that, um, there is a whole bunch of, you know, Lightbringer does seem to be a significant sword, and it's a, perf- a, a big piece of the prophecy that's uh, wrapped up in the prince that was promised, or Azor High. Mm-hmm. Megan H. offers, what if the water element was already satisfied by John killing the White Walker at Hardhome? Since these guys seem to basically be made of ice, the connection between ice and water is easy to make here. Longclaw is already in its first quenching process. Yeah, I suppose that could be right. Um, I've got another theory Alex K. puts forth. Is it possible the water that John must quench Lightbringer in is Davos Seaworth? He seems <laughs> to be the only water element in close proximity to John on a regular basis, and it would be emotionally traumatic. Uh, I don't I don't know about that. Uh, is I, it... Wh- well, I mean, he's Seaworth. is literally. Well, I mean, you could uh, Theon Greyjoy. Like, he's a Kraken. He's associated with Sea. Right, he but killed. he's not close by. Like that's. Well, now that's what he's going for. He's, he's like proximity, right? When like, he gets a hold of Littlefinger's jetpack. Uh, well, sure. <laughs> then all is possible. But for now, yeah, Davos is the closest thing. But I, I think maybe the White Walker thing is. Uh, okay. The best bet at the moment. Uh, Louis C wants to know: Do you think Heartsbane is going to be Lightbringer? Perhaps the name alludes to it having been quenched in someone's heart. Hmm. So it's already kind of got a head start on the other swords. Well, that the, this might so, so there's there's two competing kind of theories, and there's sub theories on each. That Lightbringer is a sword that's already extant in the world, and it's just waiting for someone to discover either it or its true identity as another blade, which okay. I think is this part of the theory. And there's another theory gotcha. that Lightbringer could be any sword that is. A gone through a particular process or wielded by a particular person mm-hmm. uh, and has a, a special power against the, the White Walkers. Could could John dual wield? Could he go with Heartsbane as Lightbringer and also Longclaw? I don't know. I mean, so Longclaw is like <laughs> one of those hand-and-a-half bastard swords. Yeah, it's a big sword. Um, great sword? Is that what they're called? Well, no, Heartsbane's no. a great sword. The Longclaw is a bastard sword. So you could okay. arguably dual wield, an, but a great sword and a bastard sword. <laughs> It'd be tough. He'd, I mean, she'd have to do even more working out. Uh, it appeared that um, Sir Arthur Dane was dual wielding great swords. Oh, jeez. And, uh, and I, I know I've seen a couple other knights do that as well on the show. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the, my problem with the Hearts Bane equals Lightbringer theory is number one, Hearts Bane seems like it's kind of just a bad it's like a badass martial term it's not having like yeah it's not heart's blessing or heart savior or hearts going to beat back to darkness it's bane of hearts mm-hmm. um which i guess it you know if it plunged through nisa nisa and it wasn't <laughs> dragon glass and didn't save her from being a white walker or a white then then maybe there's something to that um but the fact that they even said in this episode it's only been in the family 
for 500 years or so. Mm-hmm. Which is entirely consistent with them buying it from old Valeria, which was not yet blown up. So, ah. like, it could be that this is a more ancient blade that just came into the family. But mm-hmm. uh, to me, the 500-year limit seems to say, no, this isn't Lightbringer. And all the other stuff I said, too. Uh, John G. says, you spoke last episode about how Longclaw could possibly fit into the Zora High Lightbringer prophecy. But I believe Oathkeeper is being overlooked as the most oh. likely sword to be... Lightbringer, if it's in fact a physical sword. Keep in mind, I, I cut several other just, what about this sword? What about this sword theories? Okay. Um, so Lightbringer must be tempered in water, a lion, and a lover's heart. Uh, Oathkeeper is made from Valerian steel that was originally called ice, therefore water, and was then forged into a Lannister sword, which is, of course, their, their house symbol is uh, a lion. Considering the fact that in A Dance with Dragons we see Brienne luring Jaime into a Lady Stoneheart trap, I find it very unlikely that both Jaime and Brienne are going to make it out of Lady Stoneheart's clutches. Uh, Your eyebrows raised at that. Do I need to explain that a bit more? Uh, Which part? The About the Brienne luring Jaime into a Lady Stoneheart trap. Yes, I don't know exactly what that means. Also, my eyebrows raise any time I hear Lady Stoneheart. (laughs) Because I'm ready for it, yep. Your spire is forming. Um, okay, so Brienne and Podrick come across um, Lady Stoneheart, who is on an insane vengeance uh, streak against all Freys and all Lannisters okay. and all Boltons. All right. And Brienne shows up wearing very fine armor, not the armor that Catelyn last saw her in, and bearing... The Oath Oathkeeper blade, which is has a prominent Lannister lion on its hilt, and right. essentially accuses her of treason against her, mm-hmm. and she proceeds to start to hang uh, Podrick and Brienne, and she gives them the choice that you can either choose the rope or the sword. With the sword implying uh, that that uh, Lady Stoneheart says the way you can make this up to me is by killing Jamie Lannister, who is now in the Riverlands. Hmm. Okay. Towards the very end of the books, there is a scene where ja- uh, Brienne approaches Jamie and asks him to come with her, and that's kind of where the story ends. So a lot of people are speculating that this is going to lead him into, as as they say, a, a Lady Stoneheart trap. Okay. Um, okay. So with all that out of the way. I think we could see Brienne allowing Jamie to kill her, or the other way around, in order to fulfill the third requirement of the Lightbringer prophecy, uh, thus making Oathkeeper Lightbringer. With the romantic relationship that develops between Jamie and Brienne, that's that's assuming a lot, but I agree with that analysis, so I'm gonna allow it. Uh, I think it's very possible that Brienne becomes Jamie's niece and niece, or Jamie could be Brienne's niece and niece. Considering that both Jamie and Brienne are P- uh, POV this characters, this is what Jar Jar calls his girlfriend, <laughs> Nisa Nisa. What he calls his uh, the the uh, <laughs> daughter of his brother. <laughs> okay, Nisa is that Nisa. what that means? What what the fuck is a Nisa Nisa? It is it is very pizza pizza, isn't it? Like it's the most pizza pizza. It's it's a pretty goofy name. Like, yeah. It's, it's right up there with some of the Tolkien goofy ones, the the Bombers and Blofers and right Bilbo's. Yeah, and... Glory Hole I think is one of the High Elves. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> What's Anisa Nisa? Can we? Is it just the name of a character? Yeah, it's it's the it's the wife of the prince that was promised, and that she's the one that got the sword. Oh, into her heart. okay, yes. But she does have a ridiculous name. Yeah, she does. Uh, considering that both of them are POV characters, either would be a huge sacrifice, as Nisa Nisa was, thus fulfilling the Lightbringer prophecy. Some side evidence support this theory is that in the books, both Oathkeeper and Widow's Whale are described as having a stra- strange red glow to them, and that the book 
Uh, the show took the time to show ice being melted down in Oathkeeper and Widow's Whale in the beginning of season four. Um, I don't know that it has a strange red glow. It's just that the the Tywin explained kind of like in a gloating way that um, the 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 forger had a way to give it like a red sheen or patina patina hmm. patina patina yeah. Um, to, to go with the you know the the crimson of their house. Gotcha. So it was like a further kind of bespoiling of Ned's blade. Um, and the other obvious theory with this problem is that it implies that either Jamie or Brienne is Azora High. Yeah? Uh, unless they can just hand it off to John and be like, here you go, bud, I quenched this. I mean, that's a, you're talking about a prophecy that's 8,000 years old. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, I have always thought, and I've, I've, I've talked about this in previous podcasts, that I'm skeptical that literally one man with one sword turned the tide of the battle against the White Walkers. Right. That, to me... This is kind of like a, a Noah's Flood kind of story that it's trying to tell you something else about something that was important to the people at the time that like, you know, a lot of sacrifice and a lot of uh, blood and a lot of uh, sweat were spilled to do something really, really hard to turn these things back because it seems anti Game of Thrones Song of Ice and Fire to have like a literal magic sword that pew pew pews. All the White Walkers. Having said that, John touches one with a Valerian steel blade, and they burst into ice. So what the hell do I know? Yeah. Um, but I don't think like John could just grab a sword and just start hacking his way and and win the thing single handedly. No, I don't think so. I mean, what the hell does that even look like? What would? How would you film something like that? I mean, and he's just spinning. He's unless, just spinning, constantly spinning with sure. a sword. I mean, or you could go like the fifth <laughs> element route where like literally a beam of light comes and just go, pushes uh-huh. them all back. I, I, I don't know. But um, uh, Brian as Azora High is actually, I, I did some research and it's a surprisingly popular theory too because she's really? so virtuous and she has this sword ice. Mm-hmm. And that people say that like she very well might have to kill Jamie to satisfy her loyalty to Catelyn, mm-hmm. and that would be plunging the blade into the heart of a lion. But then you got to think like, and it would be a sacrifice maybe for her as well. Sure, because I do think she, if she loves Jamie in a brothers at arms kind of way and a mm-hmm. kindred spirit and a tra- as a tragic figure, even if she doesn't love him like in a lover kind of way, yeah. Um, and maybe he, maybe he's really cold at the time, so it just satisfies all of it. Well, that's the thing. Like you could, <laughs> like if if she's already got ice that's been melted down. Okay, it's already. And also, I'm I'm pretty sure they probably quenched the sword in water. I mean, that's part right. of the forging process. So that's mm-hmm. already kind of baked into every one of these fucking swords. That's true. Uh, if she plunges into the heart of a lion who's also her lover, mm-hmm. that would just fulfill everything all at once. Seems like it. And she's, you know, if you got to think of someone who's like. An almost uncorruptible good. Yeah. Even more so than John, who's already broken some vows and, and done some things that are questionable. I mean, I think he always had good intentions, but were questionable. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Brynn is kind of that character. She is like what you want out of a knight in Westeros. So I could see it in as much as I can see any theory where one single person is responsible for beating back the White Walkers. Uh, let's move on. Bethany P said, do we know that the Night's King was a normal man? Perhaps he was also a green seer and that's how you could see Bran. Um, I mean, no, we Hmm, don't. We're going to talk about several theories here and some of the conflicts between what the books have told us so far and and what we've, well, and we've talked about a bit on previous podcasts, but, um, hold on to that idea. 
Uh, I think the Night's King wants to turn Bran into a White Walker, continues Bethany. If you could force Bran to join the Dark Side, you could rule the world. We know the Night King can transform human babies into White Walkers. The mark on Bran's arm seems like his skin has turned to a bluish, icy color of the White Walkers. Potentially could spread. What do you think about this theory? That the ultimate uh, goal for I mean, the Night King is... Assuming it's possible, which yeah. I don't know if it even is. But um, yeah, he could probably do a lot of damage if he were to convert the Three-Eyed Raven. It also seems like it might be enough just to kill him. Because I do feel it right. feels like the Knights King is just powerful enough that he could just continue steamrolling, sure, yeah, through Westeros I, I, if he can get past the wall. Right, and I do think Brand is going to be key in stopping him. I, I think he's got a big part to play in that. But uh, so, so yeah, I could see like where if he can kill or I mean, if he can kill Brand, that's great. If he could turn Brand, that'd probably be gravy. Sure, like it's like the whole Vader, he'll join us or die thing. With right, him. like join best die also pretty good yeah and i still like the idea of bran going through the wall and like destroying it because of the the mark i now i don't yeah. I, I totally disagree that this is a mark that's going to like spread like, oh no I don't old, so. and he's yeah. like already turning into a white walker i don't because that would be something the three-eyed crow would say like yeah that well mark, too late yeah like that mark it allows you to it allows him to come here also you're fucked you're going to be a white unless you get an obsidian dagger stabbed in your heart so here brace this is going to pinch yeah you're going to feel some pressure some discomfort um yeah no, i thought it was like a tracking just so, sort of a tracking sure uh marker for him uh daniel J. if you i could get your thoughts on one thing it would be what do you think about the blue-eyed king that casts no shadow from danny's vision in the house of the undying because prophecies usually involve such terse descriptions, the fact that the eye color is mentioned at all always seemed to me to indicate that the king was another. And Cast No Shadow has a vampiric, undead quality to it as well. I'm kind of just thinking this blue-eyed king could be just as easily the Night's King, but picturing the Night's King wielding a red, i.e. flaming sword is confusing. It is also possible that we're headed for the biggest mindfuck at all, that the Night's King and Azor Ahai are one and the same. Uh, hmm. Just off the cuff, what do you think of that theory? Uh, the Zora High and the Night's King are the same guy? Yeah. I mean, what does that even mean? I I mean, that'd be a real bummer for the people who believe in that prophecy. It'd be prophecy, like saying yeah. G.I. Joe and Coma- Cobra and Commander are the same. Like, right. Then, then what? The, the, are they working against themselves? Like yeah. Each, each identity is working against the other? I mean, clearly uh, the Night's King came before Azora High, even if he is a real legendary figure. Like, Azor High fought against the White Walkers. The White Walker was created, which led to the threat. Ergo, Azor High cannot be the White Walker. Um, I also have okay. some... The, the conventional wisdom in this prophecy is that um, this is Stannis. Because, so there's all these three-part prophecies, and they're all, like, they're all saying, like, you know, Daenerys, mother of dragons, and they give a three-part prophecy about dragons, and one of them is, like, the Mummer's Dragon, which I think is the fake Aegon thing. Uh, but this is part of the Slayer of Lies litany, and I think that this is just a naked reference to Stannis, because Stannis has got blue eyes, he wields a fake, uh, a lying red sword, because it's trickery from Melisandre, and he casts no shadow... Because his shadow was used to kill his brother, and we know that shadow looked a lot like Stannis, so I think it's right. a prophetic r- warning to Danny of things that are going to come in Westeros. Now they didn't; it didn't really have anything to do with Danny, 
But yeah. then again, Danny also saw a vision of Rob dying in the Red Wedding that had nothing really to do with her. Some of this stuff was just, sure. yo, here's current events that yeah. you might not be aware of. Okay, so that sounds reasonable. I think that's where, like, I don't get too excited about the blue eyes. Stannis has blue eyes, he had a red blade, and he had a shadow that was hinky. So it's a done deal for me until proven otherwise. Um, Daniel continues... Now that we know so much more about the history of the Others, assuming the books will at least follow the origin story, it does make some of their actions in earlier books more meaningful upon reflection. Who who are the Others? The Others and the White Walkers are used interchangeably. Okay, I didn't I th- know that. I think the Others is um, the book term that uh, the Double Ds discussed in the first season changing because Lost was still so part of the consciousness. That's, that yeah, that's what I think of immediately when I hear it. Exactly. And they didn't want any kind of preconceptions. Okay. Um, it does uh, so. For instance, the fact that they spared the life of the crow and the initial search party, the one that eventually came down south and was beheaded by Ned. It's possible they wanted him to go back south of the wall and tell them what they saw, sparking more search parties and drawing more prey out north of the protection of the wall where they'd be vulnerable to them. But it's also possible they spared the crow, trying to communicate with mankind. The fact that they leave their bodies of their victims and patterns, patterns which we now know originate with the children of the forest, feels like they're trying to leave a clue as to their origin. Maybe they understand that the humans have false myths about them and want to spill the beans on what the children of the forest did in creating them. Or maybe they're like a demented demigod in in the Gnostic myth, a warped vision of an artificial intelligence uh, or an original intelligence that's not even aware of its own imperfections and carries on creating in the only ways it knows how, revealing something of its creator but in a twisted way. What do you make of these use of patterns or purposeful sparing of an enemy's life? Uh, I do think they mean something. Uh, those patterns aren't there for no reason. Uh, yeah. Now, I don't know if they're there purely for the viewer of the show or if they're there for the in-universe characters to discover. Um, I, I couldn't tell you there. One thing that I've been thinking about is like one of the really popular theories previous to this season was that the reason the White Walkers are coming is because mankind collectively has fucked up some kind of ancient agreement to sure. either supply them with children um, or to, I mean, I keep on their side of the wall. Um, I, I I don't really, you know, there's a lot of different theories, and I did a whole podcast on them back in season four. But it feels like that's less a possibility now, that these are automated weapons that the children deployed and that they weren't, there wasn't a covenant between them made so much as they were beat back and separated from Westeros by a wall. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? Uh, it seems like it. I mean, based on the history that we we learned in the show yeah. recently with the Children of the Forest, I, I guess so. I mean, I guess they could have been. It wasn't like a complete conquering, but like a uh, a ceasefire, so that could still be on the table. But it just doesn't. Yeah, there's a big gap there yeah. between the creation of them and the history that she tells about. Yeah, uh, and then modern day. So yeah, um, I want to also consider this thing from Zach R saying in the podcast you discussed the possibility that the Night King from the show and the Knights King in the books are the same person. In the show, it is the children who created the very first White Walker, who we know as the Night King. In the books, however, the Night's King is the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, who lived during the Age of Heroes, also their 13th Lord Commander. This story goes that he fell in love with the White and took the Night Fort as their castle, probably becoming a White or White Walker in the process, and later be killed because of it. Uh, the Night's King could not be the first White Walker because the Night's Watch was created to protect the realm from the White Walkers, which means they were already a threat before the Night's King was turned, which we've kind of discussed already. 
Furthermore, being the 13th Lord Commander, one would assume there was considerable amount of time between the 1st and 13th Lord Commander. Old Nan is also quoted as saying, uh, The Knight's King was a man only by light of day, but at the night was his to rule. I know Old Nan's stories are introduced as stories, but a lot of her stories end up being true. A small distinction, one which I doubt they will make in a show, but interesting one nonetheless. I am increasingly thinking this whole thing about the Knight's King... um, and a 13th Lord Commander, and the fact he was an ancient Stark, and he fell in love with another, and got his dick froze off, and became a White Walker, that seems completely apocryphal in, this, this, in the light of the new information that we've, we've, we've learned. <laughs> right? I think so. <laughs> uh, it seems like a ridiculous story on the face of it. Uh, I don't know how you fall in love with a White Walker. Well, I mean, that's a, he literally looked over the they literally looked over the wall one night and saw her beauty reflected in the moonlight, and it's kind of like a uh, King David and Bathsheba situation. He's like, I gotta get me some of that ice cold pussy. Jesus, man! I mean, you're you're. So you're going to break your vows for that? Well, that's the thing. Like, we're thinking of the like, White Walkers as being these butthole faced, horny, buff- right. You know, but b- horned yeah. buffoons, but. You know, I guess you could have a sexy White Walker. <laughs> I, 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 You're the expert in I zombie don't know lore. Why not, isn't, but... isn't there canonical instances of zombie prostitutes? Uh, well, it depends on how how much credit you want to give Z Nation uh, for being canon. <laughs> but sure, I thought there was there a Romero movie or something with that too. Or no? Uh, I, or like I, a, I can say this for sure. I am like certain... an Italian zombie flick that they got down with. I am certain that someone has fucked a zombie yeah. in in fiction. What about that uh, Peter Jackson? Like, two zombies fucked each other and got pregnant, yeah? Right, yeah. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Like, um, what if you're the Lord Commander and you're not allowed to have sex with women? Mm-hmm. You know, I found a loophole. Couple, I a found a loophole, guys. Couple, she's not a woman. No <laughs> one will deny that. Like, maybe after a couple decades, that starts looking pretty good. And they were like, well, yes, technically you're right, but you go out and try it first. Yeah. And then yeah. froze off, and sorry. No, but I, again, like, I don't saying that Nan is wrong. I'm just saying that she's re- repeating legends and stories that have a kernel of truth to them, but have been just lost in the midst of the 8,000-year history of this thing. Like, even a 13th Lord Commander, yeah. if we're on Lord Commander 999... If Ed is, in fact, a 999th Lord Commander, that's a shit ton of time. Oceans and oceans of times. And, you know, how in the world could you keep all that shit straight? Like, you know, we don't know. Like, literally, we're barely aware of the 8,000-year history of the planet Earth. Sure. You know, I'm not implying that Earth on 8,000. I'm saying that, like, the first civilization in Egypt that has, like, you know tablets and and hieroglyphics and stuff are from about that time and we know a lot of that because we have advanced archaeological techniques and we've recovered it Mm -hmm. and been able to find like the rosetta stone allows us to translate a lot of this stuff and go further back how in the hell could westeros possibly keep all this information especially since it's been destroyed it's it's been invaded like two other times by other people you know yeah i don't know i don't know so that's my thoughts on that brett J said, I emailed you a few weeks ago about the idea of the bloodied sword Dawn being carried up the stairs on the, of the Tower of Joy by Ned and that mm-hmm. being linked to being born beneath the bleeding star. Interestingly, one of the still shots in Bran's flash recall is uh, of the past is Ned saying, where's my sister? And the next shot is a very bloody hand. 
Maybe Ned has to use Dawn to perform an emergency C-section on Leanna. Uh, the books talk about how her gown was spattered with gore, and this slow death would allow Leanna to make sure Ned promises her, and he would be so guilty going forward that he could arguably or basically killed his sister. Yeah, uh, I've I've all but decided that that's exactly how it's going to go down. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know about the C-section, but like... I mean, you can see in that shot, there's a giant gaping wound uh, yes. in the torso. Yeah of that of the person lying down yeah so and it's ned's hands we, we talked about that in the main cast i mean i i would not be surprised if this is a, a fantasy section mm. well and also if the, if he actually uses because we know he has dawn if he uses dawn to do it that would be yet you right. know literally another bleeding uh, part of the bleeding star so that's not looking so good for brienne being azora high <laughs> the prince s that was promised yeah uh, Liz S said, I've got some homemade tinfoil for you, inspired by Brand's latest series of visions. In one of the scenes, we see wildfire ripping through the cellars underneath King's Landing, which is presumably a future version of Brand's, considering that this never happened during the Mad King's reign or during the Battle of the Blackwater. Mm-hmm. One theory circulating on the interwebs is that Cersei orders the wildfire to be set off in an attempt to defeat the High Sparrow and his minions. Right. Perhaps because the mountain crumbles during her trial by combat. And now Cersei's life is truly in danger. This could also be an effective way of ridding Westeros of Marjorie and the rest of the Tyrell clan. What if Jaime, upon his return from Riverrun, winds up killing Cersei in response to, or in a desperate attempt to prevent, this use of wildfire? I'm a big proponent of the Jaime as the Valonqar theory, and I also like to parallel with Jaime's prior murder of the Mad King in response to his attempted use of the wildfire to burn them all. A lot would have to happen to this, for this to work. Presumably, Jamie's f- thirst for vengeance would need to be dampened a bit, which you could do by entering Brienne. Uh, or Tommen would need to bite the dust in order for Maggie's prophecy to become relevant. But if we view Marjorie as the one who casts Cersei down and takes all that she holds dear, then, well, perhaps this prophecy will play out sooner rather than later. Uh, Jim, what do you think of this? Uh, I do like the parallel between jamie Mm -hmm. trying to do you know do what's right and killing the mad king and also killing cersei yeah that's the most interesting part of this for sure and i could also see cersei if tommen gets gets killed in the tumult after this trial by combat uh there's a i don't think i included any of these theories or maybe i included them in the the podcast for next week but a surprising number of people suggested that tommen somehow is going to be her champion why? Because he's got he's all convinced that he's holy and the gods will protect him. But so Cersei gets no say in who her champion is because I don't believe that Cersei no, will no, allow no, that. No, 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 no. That the 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 High Sparrow will choose the king as his champion. The champion oh, for the his, faith. Right, right. I, I, I thought we had talked about that in the podcast. Maybe like, we did. Like, um, that she'd have to choose, like, whether or not to let the mountain kill Tommen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By representing right. her. You're right. So I don't think it's more likely that what in some kind of tumult over maybe the king says you just can't kill my mom and he gets killed in some kind of riot. It seems clear that the only way I think Cersei in her newly sane form is going to go crazy, go nuts, wanting to burn down the city is if Tommen does die and she thinks all is lost. Um, The other interesting thing is in the books after Tywin dies, um, she has the Tower of the Hand burnt down. And there's like this spectacular towering inferno, and it collapses. And people are wondering if that's that's a pretty striking visual from the books. If there's a way that they can, you know, do this with wildfire and kind of bring that imagery back into the show. That's another kind of, mm-hmm. I guess, feather in this theory's cap. 
anything else you want to talk about before we get on to our favorite topic, that of the grave digger and the ensuing I probably fucked up the 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 mics on that one. You know, um, you, you, know you don't have to do that every time. I just insert the clip. <laughs> oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, well, shit. <laughs> shit. All right. Well, that's I'll just say insert clip from now on. Uh, so, Olivia D says this Sunday's episode is entitled The Broken Man, and I'm thinking this coming Monday I can finally wear my Gravedigger t-shirt in public. All right. The Hound is indeed alive, and a Feast for Crows, Septon Maribald has this interaction with Brienne and Podrick about broken men while on the Quiet Isle. From a Feast for Crows, Chapter 25, Brienne V, Brienne 5, Brienne the 5th Brienne chapter. Uh, Podrick asks, is a broken man an outlaw? And Brienne says, more or less, Septon Maribald disagreed. More or less than more, there are many sorts of outlaws, just as there are many sorts of birds. A sandpiper and a sea eagle both have wings, but they are not the same. The singers love to sing of good men forced to go outside the law to fight some wicked lord, but most outlaws are more like this ravening hound than they are the lightning lord. They're evil men driven by greed, soured by malice, despising the gods and caring only for themselves. Broken men are more deserving of our pity, though they may be just as dangerous. So he's anal- he's, he's putting analogy between the hound and these broken men. This episode title is called... Uh, the broken was it was called the uh, the broken man. There's also casting hmm. news that Ian McShane is going. He's according to IMDb is going to be appearing. Okay, uh, he is supposedly appearing as Septon Maribald, who is the character speaking here. Right, looks like Gravedigger com- confirmed. Good, so, good. Uh, you know, just one step closer to the the whole thing. Uh, Brian G said, "Hey guys, big fan with the impending." Do you think that when the Gravedigger theory is proven true, they will explore the subtle love connection between Sansa and Sandor in some way? Sansa and the Hound. That's uh, man. That's long dead. I and I don't know that it was love <laughs> yeah, so much as you like, saved me. Like the Hound maybe recognized that good things can happen and good people and there's things of love and beauty that are worth you know, living and dying for and not just, you know, the hell that he was locked into service to the Lannisters. I don't know that he legit legit felt reasonable romantic feelings for Sansa. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that either. Uh so but I'm I am one to ship Brianna Jamie, which is also a very subtle love connection, so I'm not saying you're wrong, just saying that I'm not, not picking up those vibes. So it would be nah. Kind of... He's into her younger, more badass sister. <laughs> too, so he goes to Sansa's as too old. Yeah, right. uh-huh. uh, Well, we know how Arya tr- treats that. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't see it myself. But um, hey, man, it's it's you're free to enjoy the show however you want. Hey, I wanted to remind everybody why we were talking about gravedigger type topics. Is uh, we've got the 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 R.I.P. for the mildly interesting. Which, if I know, there's many, many, many new listeners. But back before Jim joined the Spoiler Podcast, when he was a book virgin, uh, 
and people would write in or he would espouse a theory that I may or may not have had knowledge from the books, I would just say it's mildly interesting to cloak whether, you know. Annoyed the crap out of me. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean. Because I wanted to speculate and I wanted to. Sure. Bounce things off you. You just said mildly interesting. Sure. Um, but it bemused several people too. And this mm-hmm. year, since you're joining it and kind of getting all spoiler friendly, uh, there hasn't been a lot of mild interest to go around. And we had a t-shirt to commemorate it. Uh, spoiler Morghulis, and it's got the the hound as a gravedigger burying mildly interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a cool t-shirt. If you go to gravedigger.baldmove.com, we actually don't have it in the main store because this is arguably a spoiler, and I don't want to piss any spoiler phobes off. Yeah, but if you want to uh, get get hyped about the impending gravedigger and you know the rest of the stuff, uh, you can go and get this pretty sweet looking t-shirt. It's designed by Bald Move's own Eric Walquist of Direct podcast fame and personal arrogance fame and uh, i think it's pretty swanky and as soon as gravedigger becomes a thing Mm -hmm. that we can talk about on the podcast we're going to open to the general public but if you want to get in uh, and be the uh the the gravedigger hipster of westeros then uh, get get the gravedigger.baldmove.com would you like to help support bald moves podcast i mean the only way we're able to do the depth of coverage we do on uh, game of thrones is because we do this as our full-time job and not just this we have a lot of other uh, active podcasts we're going to be starting up mr robot before you know it uh, orange the new black is coming down the pike we're hip deep in penny dreadful and uh, we'll have walking dead in the fall i hear westworld world finally yeah. got a, a fall, fall release 2016 date. we're going to be uh, the rare first season jumping in with both feet podcast which uh. we're we're pretty excited about it. Yeah. It's HBO. I'm Westworld's scared, pretty but fucking cool. But yeah, it seems real cool. Uh, and the only reason we can do this stuff year round is because of the generous support of our listeners. And if you go to club.baldmove.com for just a buck a month, you too can become a club member, and you get all kinds of cool features like ad free podcasts and special release podcasts. Uh, we are going to be playing through the um, last chapter of the Forester Saga of the Telltale Game of Thrones. Um, video game we're going to be doing a playthrough of that and we kind of do it as a a way to inject humor into a fairly grim series and we also try to wherever possible be the bad guy Mm -hmm. Uh, like if we're a handmaiden and we're supposed to protect our friend we sell her out (laughs) sell her out six ways from sunday we 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 tell people about her inappropriate relationship with the older guy yeah oh you don't want us talking about the special force well we're going to tell it to everybody (laughs) we possibly can at every opportunity Uh Uh, a good time is had by all and it's one of the many special things we do just for club members uh you can actually see right now the first episode of that that we played through last year if you want to get a taste of what it's like but if you want to get all the rest of the episodes including final one you got to be a club member uh, club.baldmove.com. It supports independent podcasting and gets you some cool extra bald move features. Alice K says, can you talk about the internet theory that in the show, at least the heir apparent to the iron throne is now Jamie, especially since he's been removed from King's guard. How do you think this will play out? My first thought was you're full of shit, Alex K. Uh, Jamie is a Lannister that he is not in the lion's session anywhere. But then I started doing some research, and I oh, found this boy. article on Mashable, which I'll include, that lays out the genealogy here. I'm going to quote directly from the article. You have to go back to Robert, Robert Baratheon's great-great-great-great-grandfather to find anyone in his family who sired another line that survived. 150 years before Robert was born, an aristocrat called Corwin Baratheon married a woman named Lene and had six kids. One of them, Arian, was Robert's great-great-great-grandfather, 
The next one down to have surviving kids was Eliana, who married a lord named Mathen, Lord Mathen Lannister. Mathen fathered Jason, who fathered Demon, who fathered Gerald, who fathered Titus Lannister, and who was Titus' firstborn son? Tywin Lannister. Okay. The firstborn son of Tywin was Jaime, which means that through a improbable line of succession that Jaime could be amongst the ones who could inherit the Iron Throne, and now he's cleared of his Lord Commander status and could do so. What is your reaction to the possibility of Jamie being a king in Westeros, the king of Westeros? I just don't see it happening. I, I, I think there are much more obvious and satisfying candidates for me. Um, you know, John or Danny being two others, uh, to name a few. Yeah, I, I just, I'm, not, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem very plausible to me. It doesn't either, and you know, people. I like, can't say exactly why, though. People are like, well, why did George include all this genealogy in his various sources? Because, mm-hmm. um, like in the appendix, there's a lot of this stuff, and of course, in the world of Ice and Fire, you get even more. And I just think it's like that's he gets off on it, man. Like he really likes imbuing, mm-hmm. much like Tolkien before him, of the of the world and his real history that might not necessarily be relevant, but it's stuff that he can pull on for other things. And, mm-hmm. you know, he had that work out the timeline of the Baratheons, so he explained why Robert had the best claim to the throne amongst all the rebellion. Um, I it, I don't know what... So if we think Jamie's going to be the Valonqar, and maybe he's not, maybe he's going to be the Hound, but if we think he's going to be Valonqar, then that seems like that's the point of his story. And also... Maybe he sits on the Iron Throne, but is is that where he ends up? Because I just don't see a world like it. I don't feel like Jamie's going to survive this series. Yeah, every one of his children is going to be murdered. His 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 sister wife is likely going to be murdered. Mm-hmm. He seems more of a tragic figure, and he also has to atone for his many many sins. That's like, true. Namely, chucking Bran out of a window for no damn good reason. Uh, I, I feel like that he. He's going to have to pay for his life for all that. So maybe he does temporarily, but long term, I don't think it's the solution. But it wasn't as crazy as I thought when when Alex first darkened my email box with it. Uh, Julie G says, I have an idea. Perhaps Jorah will head to the Citadel and Archmaester Marwyn, a.k.a. Marwyn the Mage. Uh, He meets Marwyn the Mage. After all this time in Essos, he could easily have heard about this renegade arc Archmaester with the most experience and interest in the Far East and magic. They can introduce him on the show via Sam Inns, as in the books. From the wiki of of Ice and Fire, Marwyn spent eight years in the East mapping distant lands, searching for lost books, and studying with warlocks and shadowbinders. He was nicknamed Marwyn the Mage by Archmaester Valin after his return. The name was soon all over Old Town, much to Valin's vast annoyance. He often calls the rest of the maesters the Grey Sheep, um, he also, as a minor book foot footnote, is encountered Miri Mazdur, who is the witch that, uh, quote unquote, healed Cal Drogo for for Danny. Okay, uh, and she's he's the one that taught her the secrets of the human body and the common tongue and how to do some of her blood magic hmm. sorcery. We also know from the books that Marwyn hears about Danny and her dragons from Sam, and he promptly hightails it to Marine. I think Marwyn definitely has a role to play in the rest of the series, so having him be the source of help, or at least someone who could be sought out by Jorah for help, makes sense to me. Even if he isn't Jorah's savior, do you think he enters the story in the show similar to the books? I don't see any way how they avoid... I mean, why is Sam going to the Citadel if not right. to meet this guy? 
Right. I mean, the Citadel kicks a lot of doors open. Yes. Uh, for for a lot of those those types of characters, and maybe you know, I don't know the specifics on these, mm-hmm. but certainly, I guess Marwin could be one of those. Um, that it feels like a beginning to a story once he mm-hmm. reaches the Citadel, not yeah. any kind of end goal. So. And a lot of also, new stuff. As we talked, there's there's the sand, there's some sand snakes operating undercover in Old Town. Um, right. There's a lot of kind of plots that are nexusing there. Uh, interestingly, Jack and Hagar is, is spotted, or at least people think he's spotted hmm. in Old Town doing some some bullshit there too. Uh, so yeah, I don't see any way that they 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 don't have this character in some form. Um, and also, he could be Martin Razor. He could be Martin's Razor into the guy holding the horn. He could be Martin's Razor into the guy that cures Jorah's grayscale, which is already that's yeah. a Martin Razor for a Martin's Razor. Um, there's a lot of things he he could be essentially kind of like a combination of the Red Priest that Victorian fishes out of the sea and heals his hand, and the guy that brings the horn. Like, there's a lot of pieces that he could solve, help solve for, for the puzzle. Hmm. Um, so no, I, I, I like that theory. Uh, I like that theory a lot. Axel Foley says, I think Tyrion as a Targaryen is a actual reversed plot line. I think the Mad King raped Tywin's wife and the result was Jaime and Cersei. He hated Tyrion because he knew he was actually his only true son. Uh, <laughs> so that has a huh. charm of actually working more in the line of what the, the, the timeline, what we're dealing with, which is the heiress took advantage of first rights, first night rights. Mm-hmm. Um and so and, the twins were, yeah, yeah. So the twins would be his and not so much Tyrion. Yeah, then you don't have to say, oh well, he maybe continued to take yeah. rights over and over. Yeah. No. Um, and it also would explain why, you know, Tywin would be so bitter. Like my only true son right. is this misshapen dwarf that everyone hates, and he killed my wife, and mm-hmm. woe was me. The only thing I don't like about it is. Tyrion as a secret Targaryen opens up a lot of cool like Tyrion riding dragons, right. and, which gives him a good use for a saddle making technology. Although it doesn't seem like Danny needs saddles. No, she just barebacks that thing. Yep, no problem. Yep, seems like she just got the she she she's got the killer grip with her thighs and some pointy boots. Yep, she's good to go. Yep, there's the the the, you know, the dragon scales naturally kind of rough and gritty and mm-hmm. gives you good purchase. It doesn't doesn't feel like custom made saddles might be a necessity now if you're a dwarf. Right. It's tough to get your legs around a dragon, I imagine. Yeah. Impin ain't easy, and that extends <laughs> a riding dragon, so maybe he has to custom custom whip one up for himself. Or maybe there's also theory that dragon or the Brandon might be a dragon rider. Although that theory huh. usually involves him actually warging into a dragon. Right. Which is pretty badass. Mm-hmm. And also would explain why the three eyed raven says by the time you're done you'll learn to fly. Yeah. Um I just want to throw that out, and this is stuff we've all discussed in, in previous podcasts. Although, I would say seeing through the eyes of a raven would sure. probably also qualify. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, you know, if people if going up in an airplane counts as flying, then mm-hmm. seeing through a bird's eyes, I would imagine, would do that as well. Stephen M. says, I just finished reading the book of Duncan Egg, and it got me thinking about how Prince Arian demanded a trial by seven. Could the High Sparrow and company do the same thing, seeing as how they should have knowledge of Sir Robert the Strong? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Trial by seven. I'll Explain get Explain that. that. Okay. This could cause Cersei to go out and find six other champions when Jamie and Bronn are stuck at Riverrun. I think this could be an epic way to end the season with a fantastic Trial by Seven battle with the Faith using people like Lancel, Loras, some other Faith militant members, even the Kingsguard with their new armor, and revealing the Gravedigger and Hound as their seventh combatant. So a Trial by Seven is essentially a 
seven-on-seven, fourteen-man battle royale. Nice. And uh, to to establish the truth of the matter, it's a royal rumble. It is. It's literally a royal rumble, <laughs> and um, it's it's based in the the faith of the seven because essentially you're calling on all aspects of the seven gods, not just one particular one. Okay. Like it's assumed that like the warrior is the one overseeing kind of like the one on one combat. Sure. You get, yeah. you, you, that's not good enough. You can get the stranger and the crone and the maiden and and uh, the smith and everybody else in there. Um, I gotta admit. That would be pretty cunning if, you know, he says, well, according to ancient texts, we could do, you know, you've got this one big dude. Well, now we're going to make it seven on seven and maybe yeah. y'all gang up on Sir Sir Robert and even the odds real quick. It, maybe they can. I don't know. I've seen I've seen these multi-person yeah, yeah. That's fighting. The first thing I thought about uh, fighting tournaments. And it always goes down that the first team to lose a man uh, sure. it ends up losing the whole thing. Yep. Because then they just team up on other guys. So, like, I imagine the mountain could fight off several people at once. And if if the other six of Cersei's guys gang up on one of their guys, yeah. well, they're just going to slaughter him. Especially if well, one of those ends up being, the like, the hound. Like a badass in his own right. Yeah. I don't know. But then you look at, like, Ned and Howlin at the Tower of Joy, and it's like, well, they took out... Yeah, sure. X amount of 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 Ned's guys. So. Yeah, yeah. I know that was like the best swordsman in the the Seven Kingdoms, but right, still, your your points well taken. Uh, I I gotta say I do like the idea of a, it's just a seven man yeah. brawl. Like it's we haven't we haven't seen very many satisfying one on one sword fights. It seems like you got Oberyn and like Brienne mm-hmm. and like Jamie and Brienne's fights, but there's not a lot of um, like I don't. Uh, the Sir Arthur Dane was pretty badass, but like I didn't think that like Ned versus Jamie was all that great. It got ended before it got going by the Lannister guy stabbing Ned in the leg. Not that I think Ned mm-hmm. could actually beat Jamie in a straight up sword fight anyway. Not with his good hand, no. Um so I yeah, I like sword fights, uh seven on seven as long as they get the choreography pretty sweet, it'd be pretty nice. Pretty yeah. nice. I guess Jorah had the he's had a bunch of good fights too. Yeah, and uh Barristan, Barristan, his yeah, last he stand. Got, yeah, he got one. Maybe I'm under undervaluing the uh, <laughs> sword play in the series. Uh, Ryan from Connecticut says, in this last week's episode, Blood of My Blood, the scene where Walder Frey is berating his two lower-level henchmen, my takeaway from that scene is that he in- in- identified them as the actual hitmen from the Red Wedding, uh, which you're correct. The one slit so. Cat's throat and the other stabbed Rob's wife. Yeah, and killed the baby. Yeah. Uh, the only reason I feel to ID these guys now is so that the viewer knows who they are when they get killed in the next few episodes and it carries more weight. Doesn't a trope mm. say that if you see Chekhov's gun in Act 1, then Chekhov's gun has to be killed by the Brotherhood Without Banners and Cat Stark's reanimated corpse in Episode <laughs> 7, 8, or 9? Yeah. I feel like these two guys may as well be wearing red shirts from Star Trek. So here's here's my take on this, because we've talked about the Grand Northern Conspiracy, which I went into... Uh, two or three part detail in previous season of the podcast. But one of the main players here is Lord Manderley, which was mentioned previously as a, someone that might be joining with the Boltons. Mm-hmm. And the way we're introduced to him in the books is that Davos goes to try to talk him into fighting on Stannis' side. And he has three Freys in his house and he's entertaining them as guests. And he 
summarily not only just dismisses Davos, but he actually cuts off his head. Except for he doesn't. He puts him in his dungeon to protect him, takes some other rando that looks kind of like him. It's just an onion in a wig. It's just an onion. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's just a carved onion. <laughs> right. Who could tell the difference? Uh and and uh he he cuts off the fake Davos's head and dips it in tar and mounts it to the city gate so that the phrase like, Oh yeah, he he did what he we told him to do. Right. Later, um, after they leave, uh he, he gets him out of the dungeon and apologizes for it and says, Look, I've just been lying to these people because me and some other unnamed lord northern lords are gonna fuck them but good. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of uh inference here, but he these three frays go to ride off the Winterfell um to witness the wedding of fake Arya Stark to Ramsay Bolton. Uh Lord Manderley makes a big show of giving them gifts, which is the traditional Westeros way of saying you're no longer my guests. And then he has mm-hmm. his men ambush them on the road and kill them. He then butchers them and bakes them into three immense mince meat pies. Immense mince meat. Well, that's, a, that's a tough one to say. Hmm. Um, then he goes to Winterfell himself to show allegiance to his lord, carrying these giant pies and a huge supply of food and drink, which he conspicuously only drinks from his own supply, which a lot of people say, well, that means Lord Manderly. He's being very cautious and conscious to not violate the guest right because he washed his hands of the phrase before he killed him, and he's mm-hmm. not a taking advantage of the guest right under Ramsay's house and, and, and the Bolton house because he's brought his own food and drink, so he's not eating their bread or salt, so he can fuck with the Boltons with impunity. Um, and he also does a lot of things that provoke the Boltons and the phrase. Like he demands the bard sing the rat cook song, which is an ancient, which is a, 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 a kind of um, a song about this old legend about the rat cook, who was a cook at the night fort, who became infamous when he served an Andal king, a pie that was made of bacon, and the king's son. The cook killed the prince in revenge for the wrong the king supposedly did to him, but the king was unaware of this. However, as he ate and praised the taste and asked for a second piece. Right. Um, it's got tenement. And it, the gods were angered not because the cook had committed the murder, but because um, he had made – and not because he had made the king a cannibal, but because the cook had slain a guest beneath his roof. And it was poorly seasoned. Yes. So this is essentially – Lord Manderly flaunting the fact, unbeknownst to the Boltons in the phrase, that he's done this and he's serving them their own family. Right. And ha ha. And I'm about to. Now, it kind of goes wrong because in the a fight that ensues amongst the revelry, Lord Manderly gets his throat slit. But he's also a super fat dude with like multiple chins. It's made like an explicit point in the book. And it seems like his fat was so thick around his neck. Really? <laughs> that it didn't kill him and a maester was oh able to God. save him. And that's kind of where we leave things. Now, but then, <laughs> but then we get the pink letter that claims that the Boltons have cleaned house and they've killed Stannis. And a lot of people say that that's actually not what happened. And what we're going to find out is that there's like a bunch of chaos at Winterfell and... I don't know, because then I start losing the plot because there's other chapters that advance the plot a little bit that's been released as preview chapters in The Winds of Winter, which I still steadfastly have refused to read. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of like where I'm getting at is that it is interesting that they are making a big deal out of these two particular frays being the ones that did the stabbing. Um, Roos Bolton, who's the one that killed, I guess, put the final knife in, in Rob Stark's chest, yep. already dead. It would be interesting if we didn't later meet a northern lord 
and there is some of this inference where they've been killed and murdered and served as pies. Uh, the only thing I guess I don't understand is where would the pies be going because the marriage has already taken place. Where would there be another celebration? Is it something where the Boltons are going to think that they've crushed um, or there's going to be some feast of welcome for all the northern lords and they're going to do a reverse red wedding except for it's not going to be a wedding? It could be. I wonder if it's to like, I, I don't know, consecrate the relationship that uh, that Umber Between the Umbers is, is and, setting up. Sure, sure. Uh, maybe some kind of celebration that, hey, we got a Stark. Yeah. It, uh, it does. I don't know. Yeah, it does seem that the Umbers might actually be for, the Umbers and the Karstarks might actually, even though this boggles my mind as a book reader, maybe they are actually Bolton allies because... You know, as we saw in the preview, yeah. uh, the, the the preview trailers that the Boltons and Umbers are fighting against the Wildling Army and John in unison, which is pretty far to sell a prank. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, uh, what do you think of all that? Who knows? I mean, shit. It could it could be that the Umbers are working with Catelyn. I mean, it's right. I I don't know. The show feels like it has already kind of. I, I won't say abandoned threads that are that are in the book, but yeah. like remixed them in such a way that it's hard to tell where they're coming from at this point. And it's also standing here at episode six, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I w- am kind of shocked that they've dropped the Umber plot for so long and kind of the Bolton plot and all that because I felt like that would be something that would be immediately, you know, immediately dealt with. Yeah. I I don't I don't quite understand because it doesn't feel it feels like there's running once again they're kind of running out of time to do all the things they need to do. I don't know. Could make for an exciting last few seasons. Because my I mean my assumption has always been that the Boltons and Freys will be dealt with in, in this season. That Daniel will be sailing to Westeros, and the next two seasons are all about the final the thing we actually care about, which is the war for Westeros and also you know, the war for the dawn essentially the the, yeah. the turn back to night. Um, and if they have all this. You know, all this stuff we're talking about now is bullshit. It's non-essential. And if they don't have that dispensed with before the final 13 episodes, I don't know. I think they can do it with the, I, the next four. There's the four. That's four hours of television, and a lot can happen. Right. Um, but I'll be concerned if, if some of this doesn't start coming together. I mean, because to me, like, next episode is going to be a lot about... Um, did you watch the preview? I haven't yet, no. Uh, I did. I can barely remember what all had happened except for that... Um, it does seem like it's going to feature the um, the hound and the grave digger theory prominently, but that's you know you could do that in five minutes. I don't yeah. know. Uh, uh, let me ask you something real quick. Yeah. Um, so, so in regards to the hound and Clegane Bowl and stuff, um, a wait wait it, wait don't you mean in the books? We don't really know that it's the Hound, right? Like, nobody recognizes that it's the Hound. How do you do that with visual medium? That's a good... Because that's why one of the reasons that all the people who are kind of double-cross, fake-out people, they're either revealed right away or they don't even bother to do it. Right. And I thought, I assumed that, that Brienne just... Well, Brienne would recognize the Hound. She fought the dude. Yes. You're right. Now, I mean, cloak here, him here's up, what you maybe, could do. Here's like, what you could do. You just, like, 
Brienne is walking along and talking to this guy, and she's asking him what happened to the Hound, and he mentions that he was dead and that he's at peace now. And at the very end of the scene, they like we were walking over a bridge, and underneath the bridge is Sandor. Like they don't, it's not in Brienne's line of sight, and he like turns to the camera, and we see it's Sandor, and he winks. But Brienne, he winks. <laughs> He winks. Um, goes, okay, and gives us a so she's up. not actually talking to Sandor. No. she's talking to another. She's talking monk to another guy. So like, the and reveal, Sandor's digging graves. It was just as they essentially manipulate those sight lines. Okay, sure, um, they could do that. I, I think that's how they would probably do it. Now I don't know that these things are mutually exclusive necessarily, but what, in your opinion, I guess would be more satisfying: getting. Or having kind of this stuff with Cersei go down in a way that, like, Tommen gets killed and the High Septon, like, she she has to use wildfire on the city or whatnot. Like, I, I don't know that if... Why not both is what I'm saying. Right. I don't know how... Tom, I guess I don't know how Tommen gets killed unless via, like, trial by combat somehow. Hmm. Like, I mean, is he trying to... Come oh, in I and think protect so, his mother so, so after think, the mountain loses, or yeah, like no, like if the mountain loses and he's that's faced, why I say all, they're not mutually exclusive necessarily because they did set up the central conflict of him feeling like he failed his mother by not protecting her, and right. that's what the king should do. Like even yeah. like even if you buy all this high sparrows bullshit, like if a king can't protect his own mother, sure, and if that comes the pass, I could see him just refusing to assent and him getting killed because like also. I think there we might see a full blown riot in the the you know Great Sept of Baal or wherever they're going to do this trial by combat mm-hmm. uh, because like the people seem very clearly ready to turn on the powers that be for defying what they see is justice right and nobody likes like it seems very like even the High Septon said look look if Marjorie makes her walk for Tom it ain't going to go down like Cersei yeah because Marjorie's well liked by the people Cersei everyone hates. Um, so I think that you could easily have a situation where the mountain loses to whomever mm-hmm. and then Tommen can't accept the judgment. The people go into a riot, like King's Land is being torn apart and kind of similar to where that one melee where like Joffrey almost got pulled off his horse and Sans almost got right. raped and like yep. that already almost happened. Yep. This just full on happens and they tear Tom and apart, and maybe Jamie's able to save Cersei. Cersei gets pissed. And Cersei's just like, like, you know what? Fuck all, yeah. Because she's blaming the people. Like this is just like what happened to Joffrey, and these people are a bunch of vicious idiots. They don't appreciate anything. Yeah, I'm going to burn them all. We already know she knows about the wildfire, or do we? Do we know that? I I think so. Because I know for a fact in the books that she was kind of behind the wildfire, and that uh, that that. Tyrion found out about it and subverted it for his own ends. But he also had this kind of right. cool chain plot going on, too. I want to say she knows about it. I do. I think that she's going to know about it, and she's... and for sure, She'd have to know, because Jamie had had to tell her the stories. Uh, about the Mad King and yeah. why he killed the sure. Yeah, and yeah. I'm pretty sure Tyrion found, uh, Tyrion found out because Cersei was having them make the wildfire on her behalf. So, so yeah. I'm you're gonna I I yeah I think that's that seems like we kind of that that a uh, compelling case for what's going to happen at the tail end of the season probably episode nine because that's when they like to do shit like this uh-huh. and then episode ten's for the uh, shot of hope in the arm it's going to mm-hmm. be you know uh, Danny sallying forth and maybe yep. John and Sansa triumphant of, of of some kind of thing um, I don't know 
So that's that's all we got for the spoiler edition this week. Uh, as always, you can send us feedback at Game of Thrones at baldmove.com and on forums.baldmove.com. Once again, we will be releasing a day early, so you have less time to get your email back uh, sent in next week because uh, of my my father's surgery. Also, by the way, thanks for the many, 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 many people that uh, f- for um, you know expressing sympathy and and good wishes on my father's behalf. I, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, made made me feel good about uh, everything. So uh, we will have the full cast out on Monday, a day early. Uh, look for that. We'll be back with instant cast this Sunday night. Should be a memorable one. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Bye bye.